Well, we are in uh, the book of Hebrews again this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, and uh, we are in that section that gives a warning concerning apostasy, and we're spending one more week on that passage today, which is uh, verses 26 through 31. So uh, find Hebrews 10 in your Bible and stand. Let's read it together. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pray together. Father, we once again ask that you would work in our midst by your Holy Spirit through your word. Lord, we know that your word is the sword of the Spirit and uh, it is a living, powerful word. It pierces uh, to the deepest intents and thoughts of the heart. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, use your word to bring conviction today. And Lord, especially for those who do not know Christ, perhaps those who are right on the edge and yet have not made that full, firm commitment to Christ to receive uh, Jesus as Lord of all and Savior. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would help them to see the danger of that. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we think through the truths of your word today, Help us to heed this strong warning concerning apostasy. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would work in our midst as we worship, as we focus our hearts on you, as we sing your praise, as we give our offerings, as we uh, consider our service to you. All of these things would be pleasing in your sight. And Lord, once again, that we can uh, just have a clear conscience before you as we... uh, Consider your ways and do your will. So, Lord, we pray this morning that you would bless in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. passage of Scripture that we are focused on again this morning can rightly be designated as the strongest warning in the Bible. And as you know, Hebrews contains many strong warning passages, but this one is perhaps the strongest of all. All of the warning passages in this book really deal with the same thing. The danger of falling short of embracing the gospel and receiving eternal life through saving faith in Jesus Christ. And in this case, the danger involved here is the greatest kind because this is the warning of the danger of apostasy. 
a knowing and intentional turning away from the truth after have, having been exposed to it. You see, whenever the gospel is presented to an unbeliever, really there are only two possible responses. After he has heard the basic truths concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, he either believes and is saved, or he disbelieves and becomes an apostate. If he continues in unbelief and he dies in that condition, he will be judged as an apostate. MacArthur says apostasy is the sin of rejecting the gospel for which there is no forgiveness. And perhaps the clearest passage on apostasy is 1 John 2, 9. It says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not all of us. Apostates are those who may appear to be Christians at first. They may make a profession of faith and get baptized. They may learn the language of Zion, that is, the Christianese that is spoken in the church. They may participate in various church activities, but eventually they will turn away from the faith and leave the church. And then it will become evident that they were never truly born again. At least that's one form of apostasy And as we're going to see, there are others. But we would have to say that apostasy is the most serious of all sins because it is the most willful and deliberate form of unbelief. It is not a sin of ignorance, but of rejecting known truth. And perhaps Judas Iscariot is the classic apostate. No other rejecter of Christ had such a close exposure to the Lord himself. He knew the Lord intimately. He was with the twelve who walked with Jesus for three years. He saw the miracles of Jesus as an eyewitness. And think about this. If he had believed, he would have become an apostle, but because he disbelieved, he became an apostate. He had the greatest opportunity for salvation that anyone has ever had, and yet he turned away in disbelief. By the way, his example really destroys the old argument that certain people would believe if they had more evidence. Sometimes we base our apologetics on the idea that people will believe if we just give them more evidence of the truth of the gospel. But the truth of the matter is you can have all the evidence in the world and still not believe. And Judas is an example of that. He had more evidence than anyone else who has ever lived, and yet he became an apostate. Apostasy has been defined as an intentional turning away or withdrawal, a defection. Of course, Paul speaks of the great apostasy that is coming 
at the end of the age. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, he wrote, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, that is the coming of Christ, will not uh, come unless the apostasy comes first. There's going to be a massive turning away from the truth in the last days just before the return of Christ. In fact, in Matthew 24.10, Jesus described this by saying, And at that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And going back to Paul, he said that apostasy will be a primary characteristic of the last days. He said in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. There's going to be a great falling away, a great apostasy in the last days. And yet, every age has had its apostates. This warning against apostasy in the book of Hebrews was aimed at those who were being tempted to return to Judaism in rejection of the new covenant gospel of grace. They were people whose hearts had been warmed toward the gospel of Christ, who had made a superficial commitment of faith to him and had identified themselves publicly with the church, and yet they were not genuinely born again. The frightening truth is that there are people who come right up to the edge of salvation without crossing over into it. They hear the truth concerning Christ. Perhaps they're drawn to Him. They may be deeply convicted of their sin and even make a profession of faith. But over time, their lack of true spiritual regeneration becomes evidence. They begin to lose interest in the things of God. They begin to lose interest in the church. Temptations and worldly attractions may begin to pull them away. And eventually, they may turn to another religion or to no religion at all. This is the danger of apostasy. So this is a strong warning against rejecting God's truth and the serious consequences of doing that. Of course, in the previous section, verses 19 to 25, he had appealed to his listeners to make the appropriate response to the sacrifice of Christ. Here, he warns against the inappropriate response. He's not saying that any of them have already apostatized He's saying that some of them were in great danger of doing that. They were closely associated with the church. They knew the gospel. They had seen the changed lives of the true believers in the congregation. But they themselves had never made a full commitment to Christ. Well, we started looking at this last week, and we got to the first four points In our outline, let's go back and look at those again. We began with the condition of apostasy. Look at verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge 
of the truth. That is probably the clearest biblical definition of apostasy. Apostasy is receiving the knowledge of the truth of the gospel, but willfully remaining in sin. An apostate is one who has heard the truth of the gospel. In fact, he might even be able to articulate the gospel himself. For some, they have sat under the teaching of the gospel for a long, long time, but they have rejected it, not necessarily in a defiant manner, but by simply failing to embrace it. This is why you find most apostates in the church. They may have been attending church for many years. They like all the good things about the church. And so they keep coming. Or, or maybe there are some who just go to church because it's the culturally accepted thing to do. But they never responded to the gospel with genuine, saving faith. Eventually, though, an apostate loses interest and falls away. He ends up going back to a life of sin. He turns, returns to sinning willfully. This will eventually make it obvious that he is an apostate. And the word willfully carries with it the idea of deliberate intention. He does this fully choosing this way. The verb also indicates it's a habitual activity. And so the idea is that of willfully now continuing in sin. Of course, even genuine believers sin at times, but this is describing a lost person, one who has an ongoing pattern of sin in his life. He is an unredeemed sinner, and sin is what characterizes his life. Then we saw, secondly, the consequences of apostasy. Look with me again at verse 26. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. The author of Hebrews gives two serious consequences for apostasy. First, a forfeiture of forgiveness. Following that conditional clause, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, he says the end result will be that there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And what he's saying is that for those who know the truth of the gospel and then reject it, they are then beyond salvation. Their hope of eternal life is forfeited. There is no other sacrifice that is acceptable to God. So if they reject the sacrifice of Christ, there is nothing else that can be done for them. To reject the atoning work of Christ leaves a person in their sin, and ultimately it will lead to eternal damnation. So apostasy means giving up eternal salvation. The apostate has repudiated the power of the cross, and there's no other power that can save. Secondly, he says there would be a fury of fire. Instead of having a sacrifice that atones for sin, what can the apostate expect? Verse 27 but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Since there's no further sacrifice that can take away their sin, they are now judged for it in full. 
all that is left for them is this terrifying expectation of the wrath and the fury of God. And the greater the sin, the greater the judgment. And apostasy is the greatest of all sins. Therefore, it incurs the greatest judgment from God. Apostasy is a sin against the grace of God. Therefore, it is the greatest of all sins and will be judged the most severely. Thirdly, we saw the comparison of apostasy. Look with me at verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. This was under the Old Covenant. And every Jew knew that there were certain offenses of the Mosaic law that were punishable by death. But the argument here is from lesser to greater. Go on to verse 29. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? In other words... Even the worst offender under the Old Covenant cannot begin to compare with the person who has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and has rejected it. The greater penalty comes under the New Covenant because it is a covenant of grace. To reject God's grace is the greater sin. And the worst penalty under the Old Covenant was physical death But the worst penalty under the new covenant is spiritual death, eternal death. And the Bible is clear that this is the penalty for anyone who knows the truth of the gospel of grace and rejects it. But verse 29 also gives us the essence of apostasy. And so we spent time, fourthly, on the characteristics of apostasy. It's verse 29 that makes it most clear that the author of Hebrews is Indeed, speaking of apostasy, the rebellion of those who have turned away from the gospel is depicted in terms of three actions that are very graphically portrayed. The first one is rejecting the Son of God. Verse 29 says, How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? Of God, This is what apostasy is. It is trampling underfoot the very Son of God. The apostate treats the Son of God as worthless or without value. To trample the Son of God underfoot denotes contempt of the most flagrant kind. There could not be any stronger language than this. And we need to remember that God the Father has promised to make all his enemies a footstool for his feet. And trampling underfoot the Son of God makes one an enemy of Christ. Puts the apostate under the condemnation of ultimate defeat and judgment. But there's another characteristic of apostasy, and that is repudiating the sanctification of God. Look at verse 29 again. And has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. That's like someone walking through the blood of a slain son. What an insult that would be. The word unholy there can be translated common, defiled, unclean. This means to treat the new covenant blood of Christ as no better than the most common death. 
It means that the perfect sacrifice of Christ, which is the only way through which we can become sanctified in God's sight, is being treated as if it is nothing at all. But there's even more. A third characteristic of apostasy is that it is resisting the Spirit of God. Look one more time at verse 29. And has insulted the Spirit of grace. The Bible calls this the unpardonable sin, as we saw last week. To resist the divine verification of the Spirit that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior. And thereby to reject Him is to commit the unpardonable sin. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace. He is the one that bears witness to the gospel of grace. And when we resist the Spirit's testimony concerning Christ, we are on our way to apostasy and being condemned for the unpardonable sin. Now, all that's review. We went through that last week. That didn't cost you anything. But we move now, fifthly, to the condemnation of apostasy. Look with me at verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Here we see two quotes from from the song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32. This song was sung by Moses at the end of his life, eloquently delivering to the people of Israel a strong warning of God's judgment toward a faithless people who had turned their backs on his covenant. In spite of all God had done for them, their response had been rebellion and unbelief. And so God's response to that had been scathing judgment or warning of judgment. And the relevance for the hearers of the book of Hebrews could not be more striking. Now, the author's quotations compare two parts of Deuteronomy 32, verses 35 and 36. Here's how it reads in the New American Standard. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will judge his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. Guthrie writes, both portions quoted by Hebrews, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and the Lord will judge his people, emphasize that God himself takes the responsibility for judging those who have spurned the gospel and deserted the community of faith. It is God, through the mouthpiece of Moses, who is declaring this. This is simply warning that apostates are going to be judged by God himself. John MacArthur writes, God is long-suffering and patient and loving, and infinitely gracious, not willing that any should perish. But for the one who turns his back on God's grace, there is nothing left that God can offer to do for him. Only judgment then remains. And notice verse 31. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The word for terrifying is, can be translated fearful 
or dreadful. This word is placed at the beginning in the Greek for emphasis. And the phrase to fall into the hands of God speaks both of God's awesome power and the helplessness of the recipients of his judgment. One author wrote, there exists no means of escape for those who have rejected the grace of the living one. Listen, people often make jokes about hell, but soon enough they will find out it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Most of us are probably familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And of course, Christ is pictured by the character of Aslan, the mighty king of the jungle. But one striking comment by Lewis on this character is, he is not a tame lion. He is not a tame lion. It is a dreadful thing to fall into his hands as an enemy. He is Lord of all and will vanquish his foes in his own good time. And no one can ever think of sitting in judgment of him and to think of controlling him in any way is preposterous. George Guthrie writes, the living God has cosmic-sized, power-laden hands, and it is dreadful indeed to fall into his hands. He says, he will not be tamed by our postmodern repulsion for truth, nor by our aversion to the concept of judgment. Folks, listen, it does not matter how detestable that concept might be in people's minds today. It is the absolute truth of God's Word. We are repeatedly warned of God's judgment throughout the New Testament, and apostates will certainly be judged without mercy. So the question is, why would anyone ever turn away from the gospel of grace? Why would anyone ever become an apostate? Why would anyone ever get to the place where they know the truth of the gospel and fail to commit themselves to it? Well, John MacArthur suggests a number of reasons why this may happen. So we turn now to the cause of apostasy, the cause of apostasy. In one sense, we probably would have to say that apostasy has only one cause, which is willful unbelief. And anyone who turns away from the gospel of grace after coming to know the truth of it is willfully choosing to reject Christ. But in another sense, there may be a number of factors that may contribute to that decision. So I want to spend just a few minutes on the po- these possible factors, and they're in no specific order of priority. Some of these factors are given in Jesus' parable of the soils. And in that parable, there are a number of reasons why the seed of the gospel does not take hold and bear fruit. One of these is persecution. 
What may drive a genuine believer closer to the Lord may drive an unbeliever further away. And for some, the cost to follow Christ may seem to be too high. Of course, history shows that persecution makes the true church even stronger. And times of severe persecution really purify the church and make it stronger spiritually and morally. But persecution can have the opposite effect on those who are unbelievers. It may drive them away from association with the church. This was likely the danger for the congregation that is being addressed in this sermon that we call Hebrews. And as we will see later in this chapter, they had already suffered some pretty serious persecution, but they may have been reluctant to go through that again. And what they had already suffered was probably simply because they were Jews, but they may not have been willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And for those who are affiliated with the church but are not genuinely born again, the price of suffering persecution may be perceived as being too high. MacArthur says hard times are not for the self-willed unbeliever who is simply using the church for business or social or other personal reasons, or who may have been raised in the church and has simply never gotten out of the habit of attending. He says, persecution, sometimes as mild as criticism, is usually enough to break that habit. And another interesting truth is the fact that if the persecution is severe, the apostate may not only leave the church, he may also join in on the persecution. Now, we know that's going to be the case in the last days, just before the return of Christ. Because Jesus warned in Matthew 24, 9 and 10, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and You will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time, many will fall away. There's the apostates. And they will deliver up one another and hate one another. In the last days, the apostates are going to join in on delivering up Christians to be killed. They will join in on the persecution. But that is not the first time that that has ever happened. It has happened really all throughout church history. But there's another factor that may cause some to fall away from the truth of the gospel, and that is false teaching. Whereas persecution may frighten them away, false teachers entice them away. They may lead them to embrace a false gospel. As Jesus said in Matthew 24, 11, Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. I hope you understand this is a great danger in the church. False teachers have caused incredible damage by misleading believers who are too immature to discern the error that is being espoused. But false teaching has also led unbelievers to become confused about the truth of the gospel, or 
to get so caught up in trivial debates that they may miss the significance of the gospel. And false teaching always distorts the gospel in some way. I don't know about you, but every time I see all of this charismatic nonsense that's going on and and being so publicly broadcast on so-called Christian networks, I think to myself, I wonder what unbelievers are thinking about all this. I wonder how many have concluded, if that's what Christianity is all about, I want no part of it. The Bible also warns us that in the last days, this will become much more prominent. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 warns, But the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. This is the apostasy that comes about through false teaching. This is already true to a great degree in our day. I mean, there's, there's very little discernment in the church, it seems. There are many who have forsaken sound doctrine in favor of all the trendy experiential fluff that's out there. And although a genuine believer will never totally fall away from the faith, even under the influence of false teaching, an unbeliever may be influenced by this distorted teaching and be led to apostatize and totally turn away from the faith. Thirdly, there is moral temptation. Moral temptation. This would be the case any time the lure of sin becomes stronger than the promise of the gospel. There are many times when the things of this world become more attractive than the things of God. When Jesus gave the parable of the soils, he described some who became apostates because their hearts were represented by the rocky soil. And what he was describing was the situation where the seed of the gospel fell into soil that was only a couple of inches deep. But below that, which no one could see, was a layer of bedrock. The seed would quickly sprout and look really good until the roots hit that bedrock, and then the plant would quickly die away. These are those who seem to have made a commitment to Christ, and they're all gung-ho at first. And they may at first appear to be the most deeply devoted followers of Christ, But as soon as any kind of temptation comes along or any kind of persecution, then they're quickly out the door. Demas may may have been one of these kinds of persons because Paul said of him that he deserted having loved this present world. Some are unwilling to let go of a sinful lifestyle in order to follow Christ. Some may have a pet sin that they're not willing to let go of. Or they're in danger of total apostasy then that leads to total eternal judgment. And folks, it really doesn't matter 
if it's a series of small temptations over a long period of time, or if it's one big temptation that comes along, suddenly the end result is the same. The temptation keeps the apostate from committing to Christ in saving faith. But there's a fourth cause of apostasy. This one may be the saddest of all. It is the matter of neglect. Neglect. This is a person who keeps putting off making a commitment to Christ. He's not against Christ. In fact, he may believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that the gospel is generally true, but he never comes to the place of making a commitment to him. He keeps putting it off. You know, someday, someday, when I get around to it, I'll receive Christ. This is so eternally dangerous because we never know at what moment we may enter into eternity. I mean, just think of those people in Las Vegas. Do you think any of those people thought, even had a passing thought, that that night they might step into eternity? In essence, to fail to respond to Christ in saving faith is just the same as rejecting Him. And of course, we have a strong warning of that in this book. Back in chapter 2 and verse 3, there's the question, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And what's the answer to that? We won't escape. We won't escape. To neglect such a great salvation is to come under the judgment of God. Listen, you may have every intention of someday committing your life to Christ. But if you never actually do it, and you step into eternity without having done it, it is the very same thing as total apostasy. It is the very same thing as becoming a fervent persecutor of the church. To fail to decide for Christ is to decide against Him. Even neglect can make you an enemy of Christ. Fifthly, there is the danger of clinging to the old. In the case of these Hebrews, this was especially tempting. The danger was that of holding on to the old covenant and all of its trappings and missing out on the new. This was a real danger for them and That really is part of the main argument of this book. But even in our day and time, this can be something that might keep people from committing to the truth of the gospel. Some people may be hanging on to certain religious practices or religious beliefs that they have been taught even though they are not biblical. And please understand, religious traditions have long been one of the greatest barriers to the gospel and one of the foremost contributors to apostasy throughout church history. In a similar way, some may be hanging on to something else, perhaps 
an old sinful lifestyle, or they uh, just maybe not a sinful lifestyle, but just a lifestyle that they have become comfortable with, and they don't want to change, and they don't want to let go. Might be some sort of cultural practice. Might be some sort of tradition that is preventing them from making a full commitment to the gospel. And maybe there's pressure in the family. And and mom and dad or somebody is saying, yeah, but, you know, this is who we are. And, you know, you don't want to turn your back on that. My friend, listen, nothing is worth hanging on to if it keeps you from Christ and eternal life. It doesn't matter if your family is pressuring you in some way or your friends are making you feel like you need to conform in some way, nothing is worth keeping you from missing out on genuine salvation. Well, there's one last factor that may lead to apostasy, and that is forsaking of fellowship with the church. Forsaking of fellowship with the church. Some may lose interest in the church or perhaps become disenchanted with it. But the fact that they are not genuine believers may lead them to become less and less involved in the church. They start becoming irregular in attendance. Maybe they get to the place where they only show up every once in a blue moon. But this becomes a factor in their ultimate apostasy because they are no longer then under the proclamation of the gospel and the influence of genuine believers. Back in verse 25, the author of Hebrews had warned against this danger of forsaking the assembly of the church. And this applies not only to genuine believers, but it is especially dangerous for those who have not yet made a commitment to Christ. And one of the most terrifying things about this passage of Scripture is that these, all of these being described in this passage were at least at some point in contact with a Bible-teaching church. They had enough affiliation with the church that they knew the gospel, they knew the truth, but they were in danger turning away from it in unbelief. And the point of this passage of Scripture is that you may know the truth and yet not know Christ. You may know about the new covenant, the gospel of grace, without ever having entered into it. You may not consider yourself an apostate, but you could be anyway. If you know the truth of the gospel, but have failed to commit yourself to Christ and receive Him as Lord and Savior. You are an apostate, and you are in danger of eternal judgment. Oh, my friend, do not fall short of embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let any of these factors lead you to apostasy and eternal destruction. Repent of your sins and put your full faith in Jesus Christ today. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning you would help us to understand this message, that it would be very clear. Your Holy Spirit would make it clear to us. And Lord, we pray if there is anyone in this 
assembly today under the teaching of your word that has yet to make a full commitment to Christ. We pray that they would come to know you, that they would lay aside all these hindrances, all these excuses, that they would be willing to pay the price to secure that which is the most precious thing in the entire universe, the salvation of God. And Lord, I pray today they would be willing to let go of that which is temporal, that which uh, will one day go up in smoke, that which is not worth hanging on to in order to have Christ, the pearl of great price. And Lord, I pray that uh, you'd make that clear. Lord, I pray that all of us would respond to your word as you'd want us to, that we would be more diligent than ever before because of these truths. Help us today as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.